Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're going to be this morning in two spots if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke in chapter number 24. Luke 24 and, and put a marker there and then we're going to go over and start in Acts 17. We've been, uh, this is week 53 or 54 in a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We just jumped back into it last week after a three-month hiatus from that series. And last week I preached a message entitled, The Power and Priority of Expository Preaching. The idea of biblical preaching, exposing or explaining or, or expounding on what the Scripture actually says. And today's kind of a second part to that, really understanding Scripture. Have you ever heard the statement, he can't see the forest for the trees? I've heard that before, and the first time I heard it kind of when I was a kid, like I don't really understand what that means. The idea being... That, that thing that we have our focus on, that small thing in front of us, is keeping us from seeing the bigger picture. We get so myopically focused on one thing, we can't see the bigger, sometimes more beautiful picture. And can't see the forest for the trees. And all the small things in front of us, in front of our eyes, keep us from seeing that bigger picture. I believe the same is often true for believers with our understanding of Scripture. When we come to the Bible, we see verses, and, and we'll read verses alone and, and, and separate from each other, and, and we, we see a, a single verse, and man, I really like that verse, and put it on a coffee cup or an Insta, a coffee mug or Instagram uh, uh, post or something, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we see verses. Sometimes we see chapters or books, but we kind of see them disconnected, and if we're not careful, we can't see the forest for the trees. We don't understand the big picture of the Bible, and, and not understanding the overarching story and message. This morning, I want to bring a message to you entitled, What's the Big Idea? What's the big idea? What is the message of the Bible? You see, having just pieces of information about a story, they do us no good unless we understand how that information fits into the whole story. If you just have pieces of information, well, I know this verse and I understand that book or even just any kind of a story and you get bits and pieces of a story, if you don't understand how it fits in, where that piece fits in, you have a big misunderstanding of the whole context of what that is. Let me illustrate that I was, I was reading of a Scottish philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, and he gave, giving the idea of how important it is to, to understand, if we're going to be able to understand the context of a story, we have to be able to assign, and, and to, to understand the context of any story, we, we have to understand that to be able to assign meaning to any part of that story. So we have to understand the context of what's being said, the statement, in order to understand the meaning of that story. And I think for, for my sake, I'm just going to go to the handheld here, Trent, and, uh, and I'm on number eight right here, test one, two. I'm going to go to this. I think it's a little bit clearer right now. Um, and, and this philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, he said, he said, I imagine a story where I'm standing at a bus stop and a man that I've never met, a, a young man that I've never met, never seen, we don't know each other, we didn't have any inter interaction, there's no uh, uh, beginning conversation. He walks up to me and he says the statement. 
He says the Latin name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus. 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 And he said, I stand there and I know what the words mean. I understand that, that sentence, but it makes no sense to me. There's no meaning to his statement because I don't understand the context of why is this guy I've never met telling me the, the, the Latin uh, name for the, the, the common wild duck is Histrionicus. What does that say? It's just, it's nonsense. I can't do anything with that in my life. And he gives three possibilities, he says, in this, this uh, illustration. He says, well, what would explain that statement? He said, well, what if he was a young man whose friends just dared him on a prank to go walk up to a stranger and say this nonsensical statement? Well, it, I wouldn't really do anything with that information, but it at least explained why a guy came up. It explains the story. Now the statement makes a little more sense. Okay, I don't need to do anything with that, but I understand why he said it. Then he said, well, maybe the story was different. Maybe it makes a little more sense. Maybe what if the young man had been in the library the day before? And he was sitting there at the library, and a stranger asked him and said, do you know the Latin name for the uh, common wild duck? Do you know what that is? And, and he told him, no, I don't, but I'll research it, and I'll get back to you. And that young man misunderstood the man at the bus stop for the man he'd met in the library. Again, it wouldn't mean anything to him to, to, as far as he wouldn't do anything with that information, but it would explain the story, and, and, and it would make sense of the, the meaning. He said, but what if, something even more dramatic, what if the young man was a foreign spy? And he was, he was meeting me at a, at a rendezvous spot, and he was giving me the secret code to identify himself to me as his contact. Now that changes the whole story. It changes our interaction. It changes my understanding of the statement. The statement doesn't change, but having context of the overarching story makes sense. Let me illustrate another way that, that some of us might get. Any Disney fans in here? Disney fans? They say it might be opening soon. Anybody, some of you maybe been on the Mouse Ears blog or something, find out what the, what the ins, any insiders in here know what, what date they're opening. And, uh, and we have a few cast members that, that are in our church. And Disney, the story, the, 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 the f famous fairy tale, Cinderella. Cinderella, understanding those things in our lives and, and, and understanding, actually before I, I'll come back to the Cinderella story. Let me, let me ask you this question before we get to that. How would you answer this question? What is the Bible most essentially about? What is the Bible most essentially about? At its essence, at its core. Understanding the big idea, what would we say the Bible, let me illustrate with, with this. I have in my hand a cell phone. Now what if somebody walked up and said, what, this device, what is it most essentially? At its core, what is it most essentially? Now, if I said, this is a calendar, true or false, this is a calendar. Is it most essentially a calendar? Oh, well, it's a clock. True or false, it's a clock. And you didn't even have to set it forward this morning, right? And it sets itself forward for you. Is it most essentially a clock? No, that, that's a part of it. It's a part of it, but it's not the essence of what this is. And we could go on. This is a fitness tracker. Somebody says, what's that in your hand? It's, my, it's a fitness tracker. True or false, it can track your steps. And it tells us things about our health we don't want to know. But at its core, it's not most essentially a fitness tracker. And we could go, it's a, it's a what is it at its core? This right here at its core is most essentially a personal communication device. 
It's what I use at its core. Most essentially, why do I pay a monthly uh, fee to have this so that I can call people whenever I need to, so that I can text people, so that I can email people. I have with me at all times, I can get in touch with those that I want to. At its core, now it's not wrong to say it's a clock or it's a calendar or it's a fitness tracker, but at its core, it is most essentially a personal communication device. We must understand what the Bible is most essentially in order to understand the, the individual statements because it changes, when I read this statement, understanding what the Bible is most essentially, it changes how I apply that to my life. Just like the, the, the story of the man at the bus stop, understanding the context of why that statement was being said to him, it changes how, how he processes and what he does with that information based on the overarching story. Just as McIntyre's response to the incident at the bus stop will be completely determined by what he discovers the story to be about, how we respond to suffering, to pain, to relationships, to death, to money, to power, to trials, will be profoundly influenced by what we discover and understand and believe the story of the Bible to be about or not to believe it to be about. Before I get to what the Bible, and my message today will be a few thoughts on what the Bible is most essentially. Before I get to that, I want to I make a few statements of what it is not most essentially. The Bible is not essentially a book of instruction on moral behavior. Does the Bible have instruction on moral behavior, yes or no? Does it give us some good instruction on how to behave morally? It is not most essentially a book of instruction on moral behavior. The Bible is not essentially a manual for virtue and self-improvement. Now, if you study the Bible and if you apply the truths of the Bible, your life will get better. You will become more pleasing to God. There will be blessings that come. But that is, it is not essentially a manual of that. It is not essentially a book of judgment, wrath, or punishment. It is not essentially a book of rules, of guidelines for acceptance with God. It's not essentially a book of inspiring heroic stories or myths, although it is a book of heroic stories. It's not essentially about you and what you should do, and it's not essentially answers for personal or social problems. Now, does the Bible have answers for personal and social problems? Sure it does. But most essentially, and here's the thing, if we, and I've been saved 32 years it's, it's been, and I've had many wonderful godly pastors and teachers and Christian, uh, Christian uh, Sunday school teachers pour into my life and teach me much of Scripture. But for much of my Christianity, there have been times that I viewed the Bible as primarily some of these things on this list, and it changes how you read it and how you understand it and how you apply it. I make it much about me and, 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 and that, and we're going to get there. That's not essentially what it's about. Why do we need to answer the question, what is the Bible most essentially about? Because when we miss what the Bible is most essentially about, we will misread the Bible message. Back to my Disney illustration with Cinderella. If I were to ask you, what is Cinderella most essentially about? Somebody asked me, have you ever seen Cinderella? Yes, I have. What's it essentially about? Well, basically it's a story about training mice to do your housework. And wouldn't that be nice if you could train some mice to do your housework? Now, does Cinderella contain mice that do housework? Is it essentially a story about mice doing housework? No. Well, what if I said, well, it's, it's really Cinderella is a, is a movie that's really about uh, the, the, the effects of bullying from, from wicked siblings. 
Now, it talks about bullying from wicked siblings, evil stepsisters. That's not the essential storyline of Cinderella. It's about the benefits of a fairy godmother. If you could get one of those, life would be much better. No, that's not the essential storyline. Well, have you ever seen Cinderella? Yes, I have. What's the main, main storyline? It's about how uncomfortable glass footwear is. And these are all pieces of the story that flow together to a larger storyline. And when we understand them, they add layers to the storyline. But that's not what that movie's about. I, and you might dis- disagree with me. I would say if I had to summarize it in a statement, Cinderella is a story about how true love trumps all. And by the way, that's much of many of Disney's movies, Sleeping Beauty and Beauty and the Beast, that don't look on the outside of somebody. And what's in the heart is more important than their power or their position. And, and often it's about a rescue. And we were just talking in the lobby after the morning service, the 830 service, uh, with some folks about how much of Disney has, has biblical undertones and even, even uh, things about the fall, eating an apple and then the curse and somebody, uh, a prince coming to rescue and all of those things. My kids laugh at me when we watch Disney movies, I'll often say, sometimes I get a little emotional, they, they touch me in the heart, some of them, and then I'll say, man, I could, preach a whole, I could preach a whole series, like four or five weeks, on that movie right there, Wreck-It Ralph. I was ready to do a sermon series on Wreck-It Ralph, and, uh, and I'm not joking, I see all these deep meanings when I watch the Pixar and the Disney movies, it's how my brain works, but, but it's, a, it's a story about love trumping all. By the way, spoiler alert, really the Bible the main storyline, and we'll get there in a minute, but it's a story about how true love trumps all. How there was a curse and there was a prince from heaven that came to rescue all of mankind. I'm not trying to minimize or be, be irreverent to, to, to liken the Bible or, or the story of the gospel to, to a Disney movie. What I am saying is they borrow many of the same themes in their books, in, in their books, in their movies, and in their things. But understanding, if I told you that Cinderella was a story about mice doing housework, you probably, it would, you wouldn't have the right understanding. You wouldn't, maybe wouldn't want to watch it. That's, we need to understand what it is essentially. Let's go to our text where we were last week, Acts in chapter number 17. We're going to see that Paul and Jesus both understood the overarching theme of the Bible. Uh, uh, Acts 17, let's begin in verse number two. Acts 17, verse number two, the Bible says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the what, church? Reasoned with them out of the what? Out of the scriptures. Now, when we read the word scriptures in the New Testament, often, and and for the most part, that's referring to the Old Testament. So Paul is taking the Old Testament to tell them about a New Testament Savior. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Paul understood the overarching storyline of the Bible, how the Old Testament worked together with the New Testament. Look at verse 3. Opening and alleging, we preached on this last week, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying the whole Old Testament says we need a Messiah who will come die for our sins and rise again, and he has come. I'm here telling you the whole Bible tells this story. Paul understood the big idea of the Bible in verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude of the chief women, not a few. Skip over to Luke, go where we had our hands there. We'll stay here in Luke 24. Some of the verses that I read last week, well, I want you to look at them for yourselves. Luke 24, verse number 25. Luke 24, verse 25. 
Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Understand the context of the chapter we're reading. Jesus' earthly ministry is done. He has already died on the cross. He's been buried. He's risen again. This is, he's, he's going to be ascending back into heaven. His, he's taught his disciples, and he's been preaching for years. And what does he say? These are his disciples he's talking to. He says to them, you're slow of heart, in verse 25, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Who are the prophets? The Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, those books, Lamentations, Micah, all of that. What is he saying? You don't understand the big idea of the Bible. You've been with me for years, and by the way, I have found in my own life it is possible to consume the Bible for years and still miss the big idea of the Bible. And when we don't understand the big idea of the Bible, every time we come to the Bible, we'll still get helpful things, but we can misread the true Bible message and misapply things in our lives, misunderstand God's heart. And notice what he says in verse 26. What was the Old Testament about? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27, we read it last week. And beginning at who, church? Beginning at Moses. That's Genesis, the Pentateuch, the five books Moses wrote. He said, beginning in Genesis, the beginning of the Old Testament, and then what does he say? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. That's to the end of the Old Testament. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures, what? The thing concerning himself. Jesus says, you guys have missed the big picture of the Bible. You've missed the big idea. You've approached the Bible, the Pharisees did, for how they could make themselves better what rules they could keep to earn favor with God. You've approached the Bible from a wrong perspective. Verse, uh, verse number 28, and they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went into tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat, he sits down, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Remember, this is his, the 40 days after his resurrection, before he goes back to heaven. They didn't realize when they were talking to him on the Emmaus road, it was him. Now, would you read verse 32 aloud with me? Luke 24, verse 32. Ready? Begin. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? What do they say? We knew there was something different about him and the way that he taught us the scriptures. When we understand the big picture of the Bible, it's like a light bulb goes on. The Bible becomes alive. The Bible says it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is a, a book that's alive, but when we don't understand it, it can become just a, a, dry, a, a dry book of words and disconnected, discombobulated stories that don't go with one another. And there's a bunch of blood and wars in the Old Testament, and, and there's, there's new churches in the New Testament, and there's these, these crazy miracles in Noah's Ark, and, and we just view it as all of these kind of some random fairy tales. And, but, but when Jesus explained to them the big idea. This is how it all works together. They said to themselves, that was him. We didn't even realize it. And then they said, 
But there was something about the way that he explained the scriptures to us. Our hearts burned within us. When we understand the true story, the Bible comes alive. I can tell you from personal experience that has happened for me over the last decade or so. Now the Bible was always powerful in my life and it convicted me and it changed me and I was, I was truly saved. It wasn't that, but, but, but I started to really understand the Bible in greater ways. And it's like a light bulb went on and the Bible became far more and has become far more alive in my life than it ever was before. Do you identify with any of these statements? I want to understand the Bible, but I just don't know where to begin. Or when I read the Bible, I understand part of it, but then I get lost. Or maybe this, I've started reading it through, but I got completely confused. I was talking to a sweet lady in our church last Sunday before the service, and she's newer in our church in the last year, and she said, I got one of those Bible reading schedules that you gave out uh, in January, and I've been reading through the Bible. I'm going to try to read through the whole Bible this year. And that's a great, a great thing for a Christian to do. The vast majority of Christians will live their whole lives and never read the Bible cover to cover. If you've never done it, you don't have to necessarily do it in a calendar year. You can do it faster or, 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 or slower. But I would encourage you to read the Bible from cover to cover. But here's what she said. She said it, it, was, it was great in Genesis and Exodus, but it started getting tough in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Any of you ever been there? Leviticus is where many a Bible reading schedule has gone to die. Here's the thing, though, and, and it doesn't make all the lists of names all that much more, but it's amazing when you start to understand the overarching theme and story of the Bible. I did a study on Leviticus uh, a while ago, a, a, few, a couple of years ago. It's amazing how, how even though some of those laws are not necessarily directly applicable to my daily lives today, it shows us the character of God and the nature of God and the fact that God cares about the minute details of his children. And, and that's an encouragement to me. And in 2021, I want to know that I have a God that cares about the minute details of his children. Well, Leviticus reveals some of that character. God does care how we live and, and what we eat and where we go. And he cares about the, all of the parts of our lives. He's not just, and Leviticus shows us some of those things. But maybe you're, you're like that. You say, I, I, I've heard there are contradictions in the Bible, or I struggle with some parts and appreciate others. If any of those statements resonate with you, I think understanding the big idea will be a big help to you in your walk. So what is the big idea? What is the Bible most essentially? Number one, the Bible is most essentially a redemptive historical narrative. Today's message is a little less of a Bible study and a little more foundational, helping us understand the Bible so that when we come to it to study, it means that much more to us. It makes that much more sense, giving us some context to what we're reading. The Bible is most essentially a redemptive historical narrative. What does that mean? It is the historically accurate story or history of the redemption of mankind. It is the historically accurate account of God's redemption of mankind. And it all flows together. The Bible all flows together. The Old Testament and the New Testament do not compete with each other. They complete each other. Again, because there's this division, sometimes even as Christians, we get this idea I really kind of stay out of the Old Testament and a lot of preachers and pastors don't preach a lot from the Old Testament. And, and we go to the New Testament, we find that sometimes to be much more practical and applicable and maybe even understandable outside of Proverbs and, and maybe some Genesis, some of those stories. We get kind of bogged down in some of the Old Testament. But when we understand this is a, it's a historically accurate account of God's redemption 
of mankind. The Old Testament and the New Testament do not compete with each other. They complete each other. It all flows together. Uh, we have this book. I've encouraged families to get this. Uh, we got it a few years ago and, and read it. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've read this with our children. And there's an amazing, on page two or three of this, there's an amazing introduction that I wish that I had really grasped as not just a, a little child, but, and not even a teenager, but as an adult, it took me quite a while to understand some of these truths. But the, the second or third page in this, the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says, now some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it, they show you how life works best. And I think we have the image. I took an image on my phone this morning. If you want to put it up there so they can read along in my storybook. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Those are two very different paradigms to approach the scriptures with. You, if, if the Bible's about you and what you should be doing or God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. A redemptive historical narrative. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And then it goes on to the creation account of Genesis. The Bible is a story of a savior who came to redeem mankind. You see, it's possible. Why does it matter to understand what it's most essential? Because it's possible to consume the Bible for years and never get the big picture. If the big picture of the Bible is about you or me, how many of you know the story of David and Goliath? You've, you know that story? We've heard it. We've heard it preached. We've read it. We've taught it. Here's the thing. When you come to the Bible and read David and Goliath, if the story of the Bible, the big picture of the Bible is about you and me, then David and Goliath is teaching us, go be like David and take care of your giants. But if the story is about Jesus, then you and I are the hostages of the Philistines, and Jesus is our David who goes in alone, goes in our place to rescue us from all of our threatening giants. That's two very different stories. Abraham and Isaac, the story of Isaac being offered by his father on the altar. If it's about you and me, then the moral is trust God and be willing to give him everything. By the way, that's not a bad secondary application. The Bible does teach us to trust God and be willing to give him everything, but that's not primarily what Abraham and Isaac is about. If, if the story's about God, then the story is that God would come to earth and make himself a lamb. 
That one day his son would walk another hill with another piece of wood on his back to become a sacrifice for all mankind. In a nutshell, the, the narrative of the whole Bible is, is it's a redemptive historical narrative. And let me break it down. The narrative of the whole Bible in a nutshell is this, four pieces that answer four core questions in our lives. Number one, the narrative of the Bible. So what's the story? Beginning to end, what's the narrative? I said it's a redemptive historical narrative. What is it? Number one, creation, which answers the question, why am I here? Don't people wonder that? Why am I here? What's my purpose on this earth? If we want to know our purpose, we need to find out who our creator is. Where did we come from? And then are we fulfilling his purpose for us? And, and we all, all mankind has that question buried in their hearts. Why am I here? And the Bible answers that question. The narrative of the Bible is creation. The second piece of that narrative is the fall. What's wrong with me? You ever wonder, why do I mess things up so much? What's wrong with me? Why do I get myself into all these problems, all these troubles? Well, the Bible tells us the story. We were created, then there was the fall. But it doesn't stop there. The third part is redemption. How do I fix it? Not only why am I here, what's wrong with me, but that's the majority of the Bible is the redemption portion of the narrative. How do I fix what's wrong with me? The answer is, spoiler alert, you can't fix it. It's why we needed a savior to come fix it, fix us. And then lastly, it's restoration. What's coming? Where, where do we go after all of this? What's the purpose of life? Why am I here? How did I get so messed up? How do I make it right? And then what? Is this it? You just live and die and just enjoy? And some people believe that. Well, when I die, I'm just going to go into the ground, so I'm going to live it up as much as I can. When we don't understand the, the biblical historical narrative, we will make wrong decisions and choices in our lives. We'll say, well, if this is all there is, then let me just have all the pleasure I can have. Some, some religions, some man-made systems teach, based on how you live is what you become in the next life. And so if you do really well, you might become a, a cow. And if you don't, you might become this, this, a worse animal. And you might come back as a snake. And you might come back as a, as a king. And you might, who knows, all the different ways. And people are, are trying to figure out what's coming. What's after all of this? And the Bible answers all four of those questions that men all throughout human history have grappled with. Why am I here? How did I get so messed up? What's the answer? And what's next? And understanding those things, 2 Peter chapter 3, I think we have that scripture there, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, the Bible says, talking about the restoration, seeing then, what's next? That all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens, and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Because we know what's coming, it changes how we live here. So I understand the narrative. It, ch it changes the way I live, the way I interact. And when you read, if we can go back to the slide that shows all four of those pieces of the narrative, as you're reading the Bible, one of the things you want to do is you want to pull back and ask, what part of the narrative am I in? Where am I reading? 
Am I reading in the Old Testament, the, the creation account? Am I reading about the fall? And am I reading about God preparing and pointing signs? We're having uh, the Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, we're having a Seder meal or a Passover meal at five o'clock. When I say a meal, we're not provide. don't come hungry. We're not providing a full meal for everyone. We're gonna have a man here that shows us all the pieces of the Passover meal as the Jews celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. It's amazing how all of those pieces point to a Messiah that would not come for centuries. Much of the Old Testament, it's the story of the need for redemption and God redeeming his people, starting with Israel and then Israel and then the whole world. And so you want to go back and ask yourself, where is this? And here's the interesting thing with this narrative. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you'll find this whole narrative in one story. The first story of the Bible. Who is it? Adam and who is it? Adam and what? Let's think about that story of Adam and Eve. A miraculous creation. Adam breathed. God breathed into the dust. And, and Adam came. And so Adam's here. Why am I here? God gave him a purpose. Why he was there. To dress and keep the garden and all of that. God gave him a work to do. But what happened? The fall. Eve, uh, Eve sinned. And then Adam sinned. And mankind fell. And then what happens in that story we have in the very first story, the very beginning of the Bible, this whole narrative is encapsulated. God showing us this is this, my story. What happens? Redemption. What was the first attempt at redemption? Adam and Eve decided to sew some fig leaves together. They said, we're going to try to cover our sin ourselves. And we see in the very first story, man trying to redeem himself, and God saying, that's not enough. And so what did God do? God he, he used animal skins, the shedding of blood of, the, of an animal to cover the sins of a sinful man. We have God's redemption. God said, even in your sin, your faults, your failures, I still love you. I'm not done with you. I'm willing to redeem you. I'm, going, I'm willing to, in my own strength, cover your sins that you could never cover in your own strength. And then what do we have? restoration. God moved them out of the garden, but he gave them a new purpose. He gave them a new place. The whole story of the Bible encapsulated in that one story. What about Moses? What's the story of Moses? A miraculous deliverance and, and, and creation, if you will. His birth, he shouldn't have lived, but God, his mom put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River, and he should have died. But God miraculously created him, if you will, gave him life. We have his creation. And then what do we have? His fall. What did he do? He murdered an Egyptian man. And he went off into exile. He went off into the desert. He was, and, and we have Moses there, a picture of Moses messing things up, messing up God's plan for his life. And what do we have? Out there in the desert, we see Moses' redemption. God calling Moses back unto himself, giving him a purpose, and, and then God using Moses to redeem his people, the, the Jews, out of Egypt, where they were in bondage. We see God's redemption, and then what do we see? Restoration. God's saying, if you'll follow me, I've got a wonderful future for you in a land called Canaan. What is that? That is the biblical narrative in the nutshell story of Moses. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I've got a place prepared for you. That's what the Bible is. And as we understand the overarching themes, it changes the way that we read and apply and understand the Bible. Number two, I'll give you three thoughts this morning. Number two, the Bible is most essentially good news, not good advice. It is most essentially good news, not good advice. If the Bible is good news, it's a story about a who. The good news of Jesus, who? If the Bible is good advice, it's a story about what do I need to be doing? 
When you come to the Bible, always keep the who before the what. Now, there are some what's. There are some things that God instructs us we shouldn't, shouldn't do. But the who, the relationship, the person always comes before the what, the rules, the list, the actions. Don't get that backwards. We, it's sometimes, maybe not you, maybe it's just me, we read the Bible like a self-help book, don't we? But the story is really, you can't help yourself, so I became your savior to be your ultimate helper. It's about a who, it's good news, not good advice, essentially. Now there's good advice in the Bible, but essentially it's what it is. All the Old Testament laws, what did the Pharisees, they got mixed up, and even today, Orthodox Jews often, will, they'll view the Old Testament laws as this list, if I do all of these things, all of these what's, then I'll earn favor with God, then I'll be accepted of God. When you read the Bible as a book of good advice, the Old Testament laws become this thing, I've got to do this to get to heaven. That was never why God gave the Old Testament laws to his people. And we misunderstand. If we don't understand the overarching narrative, we misunderstand and misread the Bible message. The laws were not there to make yourself better. The laws were there to show God's people how bad they really were. Nobody can keep all of these their whole life. You need a Savior. The laws, the Bible says it this way, they weren't meant there to cleanse your sins. They were meant as a mirror to show you how dirty you were so you would realize your need for a Savior. The Old Testament laws, they're, they're not a manual on how you can fix everything in your life to earn God's love and favor. They're a mirror to show you how lost and undone you really are so you will understand your need for God's undeserved love and favor. How we view it, the story changes everything about our approach to it. Either the Bible is something where I need to fix myself and I'm going to find the answers of how to do that, or, or the Bible is the story that there is only one who can fix me and I need to let him into my life. The Bible, I'm going to give you three things here. The Bible is more than systematic theology. It's not just a framework of doctrines. It's not just a list of religious instructions. The Bible is more than practical life philosophy. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts, behavioral instructions and moral laws, good advice for life, good examples, heroes to emulate, villains to despise. And the Bible is never superstitious mysticism. Just mysterious writings, these ancient, mysterious. There was a book a couple decades ago that the, the writer, I've cracked this code, and, and here's this, and these numbers in the Bible, if you go to the 52nd page with the 51st word on that page, then you'll find this mysterious hidden meaning. Don't, don't approach the stories of the Bible always looking for some mysterious, mystical, hidden meaning. That's not the, that the Bible is never some superstitious book of mysticism. No, it is a redemptive historical narrative of God's love for mankind and how he came to redeem them unto himself. Number three, the last thought, the Bible is most essentially about Jesus, not me. I've already mentioned this a little bit, but this for some, this will be a paradigm shift in how you approach the Bible. The Bible is most essentially about Jesus and not me. Don't read the Bible, don't read the Bible Primarily to find characteristics to emulate, read it to find Christ to worship. Find Jesus in all the Bible. Don't just read about Adam. See Jesus, the true and better Adam. Let me illustrate. History starts with the first Adam. Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians, the last Adam. 
The first Adam was made in the image of God. The last Adam is the image of God. The first Adam sinned, and this last Adam atoned for sin. The first Adam was a fallen man. The last Adam is a perfect man. Through the first Adam, humanity fell. Through the last Adam, humanity can be saved. The first Adam brought condemnation. The last Adam, salvation. Through the first Adam, we inherit a sin nature. Through the last Adam, a new nature. In the first Adam, we are born sinners. In the last Adam, aren't you thankful? We can be born again as saints. The first Adam turned from God in a garden. The last Adam turned to God in the garden of Gethsemane. The first Adam was a sinner. The last Adam became sin to save sinners. The first Adam was the head of a dying planet earth. The last Adam will be the head of a living new heaven and earth. The first Adam had a limited domain. The last Adam is Lord of all. The first Adam yielded to Satan. The last Adam crushed Satan. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam atoned for sin on a tree. The first Adam brought thorns. The last Adam was crowned with thorns. The first Adam was naked and unashamed. The last Adam was stripped naked and bore our shame. Everybody is born in Adam, and anybody can be born again in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The story of the Bible is not all about Adam or Abraham or Moses, about David or Paul or Peter. The story of the Bible is not how can you be more like Peter, and how can you be more like Paul, and how can you be more like David and Moses. The story of the Bible is about Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. It's about how can we know the power of the same God that David knew? How can we serve the same God that Moses served? How can we live for the same God that Paul lived for? Jesus is the true and better, the greater Adam. All of our efforts pale in comparison. And understanding the big picture, the Bible is not primarily. Now, you will be helped in your life. Your life will be improved if you follow the principles of the Bible. But it is not primarily a book about how to make your life better. It is a redemptive historical nature. It's good news primarily before it's good advice. And it's more about Jesus than it is about you and me. And when we go to the Bible, we should not be primarily looking at it for us. We should be primarily looking for Jesus. From creation to fall to redemption to restoration. Jesus is the true and better Adam. 66 books written over 1,600 years by some 40 authors in three languages, one story about a Savior named Jesus. Amen. We need to, as we preach, as we live, as we read, as we study, we need to understand the Bible in its context. And not just that chapter or that verse, the big picture of how it all fits together. The Bible is not some confusing... Now, again, you can study the Bible for a lifetime and never exhaust the riches of Scripture. There are things that I learn each and every week about Scripture. But it is not some, it's simple enough that a child can understand it and deep enough that, a, that, that anyone can study it for a lifetime. But it all goes together to tell the same story. Everything in, Bible, in the Bible, all of its themes and patterns, main images and major figures, they point to Jesus. So what's the big idea? The big idea is that God created you. Why are you here? Because God created you. What's the big idea? that he loves you in spite of your sin, that he sent his son Jesus to be the payment for your sin, to save you, and he's coming back again to make all things right and new. Let's understand and let's make sure that in our personal lives and in our church, 
little, a little strange. We kind of pulled out of the verse-by-verse study of Acts. But as I saw Paul and Jesus, maybe, humanly speaking, the two people in the Bible that were used on a, on a scale numerically more than anyone else, both of them understood the big picture of the Bible. As they studied and taught the Old Testament, it was all pointing to Jesus. And may we understand, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the purpose of the Bible. That's the purpose of Christ coming to earth was to pay for your sins, to pay for a a place in heaven that you could spend all eternity. There is coming a restoration of this broken earth and this broken world. There is coming a new heaven and a new earth. And you and I, we can rule and reign with with God and with Jesus Christ. We We can be with him forever. But we must accept his redemption. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Are there still parts of the Bible that can be a little hard to understand? Sure. Are there still parts that can be confusing? Does it take some time and some study to dig into the historical accounts? Sure. And that's what, something that's wonderful. But when you see the Bible in its context, it's not just these, these dis- disconnected books. I'm trying to pull out some, some self-help advice I can find for this week. It's this beautiful, transforming, life-changing story that all flows together. And it, it answers every question that we have. Why am I here? How did I get so messed up? How do I fix it? And what's next? Fall in love with the Bible and let's understand the big idea. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.